Welcome to Rancho Baptist Church. This message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning services. As we come into December this year, Pastor Jason is taking a break from the Acts series and starting a four-week Christmas series. Today, he is looking at selected scriptures in a sermon he's entitled, Promised by the Prophets. Let's join Jason now as we dive into the scriptures looking at Jesus Christ, our Messiah. I don't know about the rest of you, but I... I had a great Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is always something that I'm looking forward to the next thing. And at, and at times it's hard not to stop to see through thing, stop seeing through Thanksgiving and looking at Christmas. Why? Because even before Thanksgiving comes, everybody's got their lights up and they've got trees and they've got this and they've got that. And it, at times it's hard to just stop and be thankful for all that the Lord has, even in preparation for the coming Christmas season. And in light of that, what decided to do was to spend some time thinking about Jesus. Spending some time just remembering the coming of the King and all that that entails. And at times I can get lost in everything else that's going on. And I can forget about the true meaning behind Christmas. Or even I can forget all that Jesus is. All who Jesus is. And as I considered beginning this, this series, this Christmas series of the coming of the King, I thought, man, where, where do I start? You know, generally we, we would start at the manger, the angels, and, and we'll get there. But I thought this week, no, let's let's start someplace else. If if you were like me and in our family, you like movies. Maybe you don't like movies, but you know what <laughs> what entails a movie, what a movie is all about. You got the beginning, you got the middle, you got the end. But even before that, you've got these things called trailers, right? You have trailers that, that, that they put out basically in order to pull you in and kind of string you along as you wait for the movie to, to actually come. And so you see the first trailer and it, and it barely tells you anything. And really all it does is pique your interest. And what I'd like to present this morning is that the Old Testament and the way that we see Jesus Christ presented is kind of like a trailer like a movie trailer that just gives us little glimpses into the coming Savior, into the coming Lord, into the coming King. And I believe that as we look back on all that is being expressed in God's Word, pointing forward to the Savior, it allows us to, to better grasp the significance of this season, of this time of year. But where should we go? Where should we start? You might say, oh, Pastor Jason, let's go to Matthew. Okay, let's go to Matthew. Let's start with the first gospel that we have given in our New Testament, the gospel of Matthew. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. And we're just going to look at a couple verses. 
as it seems like this would be a good place to start, that this might be where the trailer begins, or this might be a couple minutes into the movie. Let's see and see if this is a, a good place to start or not. This is what Matthew has to say. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And if we continue on in the book of Matthew, chapter one, we get to verse 16 and we see a different Jacob there than spoken of earlier. The son of Isaac, we see here in verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So how far back do we go? How far back did Matthew go? Well, Matthew goes back to Abraham. And and this makes sense because the reason why Matthew has written his gospel And the way that he has written his gospel is in order to present Jesus Christ as the Jewish promised Messiah. He's recognizing that those that read this are going to have a Jewish background. And so what does he do? He goes back to the most important figure in Jewish history. He goes back to Father Abraham, the beginning of the nation. And he points them back to there and says, this is where Jesus comes from. This is where your Messiah comes from. Even if you don't believe it, this is where he comes from. But is that far enough? Is that how far back we should go? Or should we go further? What what do other gospel writers have to say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn to Luke. Let's see what Luke has to say. Does Luke say the same thing? Does Luke go back to Abraham? And, And what we'll see is no, Luke is not like Matthew. In fact, Luke doesn't start his gospel off with a genealogy. We don't see Luke's genealogy until we get to chapter 3. So if you're looking for it, it's in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 23. And we're going to be a turning back and forth in Scripture this morning in order to pave the way for the coming of the Messiah, in order to prepare ourselves and see that this has been part of God's plan all along. The baby born in a manger just didn't come out of nowhere. This was God's plan from the start, from actually before the start, as we will see. Luke chapter 3, verses 23 to 24 says this, When he began his ministry, speaking of Jesus, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. So he was supposed the son of Joseph, but he was not the son of Joseph. The son of Eli, the son of Mathot, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph. And then going on to verses 36 to 38, he says this, the, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So first we notice not only does Luke go to a different place, but he gets there in a different order. (laughs) He goes backwards, so to speak. He starts with the present with Jesus and then he goes back from Jesus 
to where he thinks it's important to go back to. And does he go to Abraham? Does he stop at Abraham? No. He goes further back than Abraham. He goes to Moses. He goes to Noah. He goes to past Noah. He goes to Methuselah. He goes to Enoch. He goes past Enoch. He goes all the way to Adam. But does he stop there? Did you see how it ends? Verse 38. Where where Luke's genealogy ends, even though it's flipped upside down, he's still saying the same thing. This is how far back we need to go in order to truly grasp this baby that's going to be born. To truly grasp this Jesus Christ as the Messiah. If you want to really understand, you need to understand that he goes back where? To the Son of God. That's how far back he goes. He goes all the way back to God. And in this, what we see is, is Jesus is promised by the prophets. That is what we are going to see this morning. And in, 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 a, in a way, we could look at Matthew, we could look at Luke as still being in, involved in the Old Testament. Because they're in this transition time and they're more part of the Old Testament than they are of the New Testament. But there's someone else that gives us a a bit of a genealogy, and his genealogy is even more different than Matthew and Luke. Look at John. John chapter 1. And you may not not have ever thought of this as a genealogy, but I believe it is like a, a genealogy of sorts. Because as Luke said that Jesus goes back to Adam and then to God, so so does John. Look at what John says. In fact, he says something even more significant. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So so what do we see? How was Jesus characterized? Jesus is characterized like this. Jesus is seen as the Word. Jesus is seen as the Word. As the Word that was what? That was with God in the beginning. And and what does that mean? What what is this actually saying? I I believe what John is doing is, is, is he's thinking back to Genesis. He's going all the way back to Genesis 1, 1 to 3. And what is he doing? He's giving us an interpretation. He's saying, hey, this is how Genesis lives itself out in Jesus Christ. Because you know how God spoke in the beginning. Well, that is Jesus Christ. He is the one that did all the creating. When God spoke, it was Jesus doing all the action. It was Jesus doing all the creating. It was this Jesus known as the Word. So turn with me to to Genesis, and and let's go back. Let's go back as far back as we can go. Because there is no further back than this as far as humanity goes, as far as what we can truly grasp. And yet, even in this, God goes back further still. In fact, God goes back to all eternity past. for, For He has no beginning, and He has no end. Genesis 1 1 to 3. 
This is how far back we need to go in order to truly understand Jesus, the birth of Jesus in the Christmas story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. What is Moses saying here? Moses the prophet is pointing. And he's saying back, he's pointing back to something that he wasn't there to see. But God has revealed this to him. And what is he saying? He's saying, hey, wait back at the beginning of time. God did this. God created the heavens and the earth. But does that mean that the word that John talks about in John 1, 1, that, that he was created at this time too? No, it's all created things. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the triune God and He's always existed from eternity past. So when it speaks of everything being created, it is not speaking of Jesus Christ. For the Word of God has no beginning, has no end. And notice what it says too. Isn't it interesting before any creation starts, and all we see is, is formlessness on, on, on the part of everything, and all we see is darkness, then we see that the Spirit of God is doing something. Do we not? We see the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. He was hovering over the surface of the waters. And why is it that the Holy Spirit is doing that? I think most likely we, we tend to think, oh, he's doing this in order to get ready, right? He's, he's expecting creation to begin. He's waiting with eager anticipation. And yet the reality is, okay, so, so if he's expecting it, then he doesn't know exactly when it's going to start. Well, that doesn't make much sense because the Holy Spirit is omniscient. The Holy Spirit is God. So he knows exactly the way this is all going to pan out. So could it be that there's more to what is going on than just the Holy Spirit waiting with eager anticipation, which I believe He is? Yes, there is more. And, and I believe what is going on here is, is pointing to the Word. That what the Holy Spirit is doing is as He's moving, as, as He's hovering, which is exactly the same word used in the New Testament with Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. Do you know what it says? It says that the Spirit in, in Matthew 3, 13 to 17 is, is hovering over the Jordan. Waiting, so to speak, for what? For the Word to become flesh. Here, He's waiting for the Word to take action. Do, do you see the similarities between the beginning and creation and then what we know of as redemption? They're one and the same that the Holy Spirit is there. And the Holy Spirit is, He is indeed waiting, but it's more than that. I believe He's actually anointing. He, he's getting the Word ready. Yes, yes, okay, now. And then we see next, it says, that, that then God said, let there be light. And that is what Jesus does. He brings light to the darkness. We, we see it here in the beginning. It's why God's Word makes it so clear that it was complete darkness. And then God speaks. And out of the darkness comes light. Well, what is the story of Christmas? What is the story of Jesus? It is exactly the same. God becoming flesh. 
coming to this world of darkness and bringing the light of the gospel, the light of his life and his death and his resurrection. And and think about this. Of all the words to use, it says that God spoke and it says that, that John calls him the word. What does that communicate to us? That communicates that God is a personal, intimate, and also an expressive God. Jesus Christ cannot help but to speak. This is what Jesus does. Why? Because He is a communicating, loving, gracious God. Even as the Son of God, before He takes on flesh, human flesh, what is He doing? He's speaking out into the world. He is busy working. And has Jesus stopped? Is the light of Jesus still shining today? Is that gospel of Jesus Christ now now gone black? No, it is still shining today. Just as He is was shining back here in Genesis 1 in the beginning, it's just in this time He is shining as the Son of God, the Word of God. But why would God speak? Why would God create? Is it because He's needy? Is it because God thought as a triune God, you know, I'm kind of bored of God the Son. I'm kind of bored of God the Holy Spirit. I I need someone else to hang out with. Is that why we see creation come into existence? No. We, We see it come into existence. Why? Because God is a God of infinite grace. Matchless grace. A grace that knows no ends, that knows no bounds. And, and I believe we see this oh so clearly, perhaps most clearly, in Genesis chapter 3. Turn with me there, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to get rid of this. Genesis chapter 3. And this is such cool stuff to see how the Lord orchestrates all these things, especially in a verse that so many times doesn't make sense. We'll, we'll start at verse 14 and, and, and let me flush it out a little bit. So we know Genesis 3 is the fall of man. So what has happened is God has created Adam and Eve and he takes Adam and he breathes life into him. And he puts him in the garden. And he says, hey, buddy, you can do anything that you want except for this one thing, that tree there, the knowledge of the tree of, of good and evil. No, you cannot have that one. And then we know the story, right? Satan comes and deceives Eve and then she takes it. She takes a bite and then she gives that forbidden fruit to her husband. And then as a result, God comes pronouncing judgment upon them. Yes, God is a God of holiness. Yes, there is judgment. But you know what else? There is grace. And we see it right from the start. Look at verse 14 as he finishes his pronouncement upon Adam and Eve and he turns to the serpent. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you've deceived Adam and Eve, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. I don't know if you've heard this before, but this can be kind of confusing. Who's the he? Who's talking about what? Who's doing the, huh? I don't get, well, let, let, let me try to make this clear. 
So, so this is God speaking and he, and he's saying, Hey, I'm going to do this. I am going to put enmity. I'm going to put hostility. I, I'm going to make it so that there is a battle waging. And that war that goes on is going to be between you and who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the serpent. He's speaking to Satan. He's saying, you know what? There is now going to be a war between you, Satan, and her, the woman, Eve. Implication, all of us as humankind. All of us that would be born from Eve, which includes all of us. doesn't matter what nationality. We're all born into this. We're born into a war, into enmity between Satan and all of humanity. Why? Because Satan wants to destroy all of us. He wants to take all with him to hell. And that is the battle that is being waged here. Between your seed, speaking to the serpent. So between your seed, Satan, and all of his demons... And her seed, speaking of the woman's seed, all of us. And then look at this. Then he goes much more specific. And instead of talking in generalities, he goes into using a singular pronoun, he. The seed of the woman, the coming promised Messiah, the deliverer to come. He will strike your head. That is the idea of a fatal blow showing Satan's destruction. And you, Satan, will strike his heel, meaning the seed of the woman. Someone will come from the line of the woman at some point. This he, this man, will come. And it will look like Satan has destroyed him. It will look like he has bit on the heel, maybe by some sort of poisonous snake, will he, and he will die. But the reality is that will not be a fatal blow. In fact, that will be the best news ever. Even though Satan thinks he wins, he does not win. Because that is what the Lord uses for our redemption. To purchase us. And and isn't this amazing that as sin is introduced into God's creation, as sin and death enter, we also see God's grace being poured out. As He's he's whispering, Redeemer, there's one coming. And He's going to settle everything. He'll be the help that you need. And so what is he doing? The Lord is, is actually, he's, he's like this, this great weaver or this masterful artist where you don't know what he's starting with. You have no idea what this looks like. All we've heard is, is he. Who's the he? What, is that, what does that look like? And, and as history unfolds and as more and more prophets come and more and more of God's chosen vessels come, what do they do? They give a little bit more input, a little bit more input, a little bit more input. So when we turn to Genesis 12, we, we see it become not just a he anymore, but we see exactly what line he's going to come from. What nationality. As it's going to be the line of Abraham, even though he's called Abram here because his name hasn't changed yet. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the the one who curses, I will curse. But listen to this. This is what I want to highlight. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is why we could go to Papua New Guinea and give them such wonderful news because they are included in this and so are you. 
what, what, what is the he gonna come from? Or where is the he in Genesis 3 gonna come from? As far as what nation? He's gonna come from the nation of the Jewish people. He's gonna come from Father Abraham just as, as Matthew starts with. But what we're going to see is that as the history continues to unfold, and this promise that is given to Abraham is also passed on to his son Isaac, and then it is passed on to his son Jacob, and then later as as we see their family and the nation of Israel become slaves in Egypt, the Lord raises up a man who looks a whole lot like the Messiah, but he is not the Messiah. And that man's name is Moses. And what does he do? He comes and and through God's grace, he delivers the nation of Israel. And yes, that's a picture pointing forward to Jesus Christ. But but it's even more than that because the Lord gives him the, the Ten Commandments and the law. And he gives him the whole sacrificial system pointing to the fact that you are sinners and you need help. And the answer is a sacrifice on your behalf. Somebody taking your debt. And what that looks like is animals and yet in that what is that doing that's pointing forward to the true to the one lamb of god that will come and yet it it doesn't stop with moses it keeps going on as as the nation of israel looks around it at at all the other nation or all the other nations around them and and what do they say they say hey we want a king like them and so god says okay i'll graciously give you a king and then we see king david and and he is a picture as well That yes, okay, he's not this Redeemer. This He in Genesis 3 is not just going to come through Abraham, but He's going to come through the line of David. In fact, He's going to rule like David ruled. But even better. Even more so. But He doesn't stop there. As we see more in in, in the prophets, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. No, I'm giving you a like almost like a sword drill this morning, letting you relive your time in Awana or this or that. And in this, as you turn to Isaiah, remember, you, you know what some people call the, the book of Isaiah, the gospel of Isaiah, because the theme is the Messiah. The theme is the one to come is the king, the coming king. And, and look at chapter nine. And sorry, I, I, I missed this one. <laughs> what do we see? We, we see Jesus as the promised one in Genesis. And then in Isaiah, we will see this. Jesus as the mighty God. We're, we're going to see that there's a lot more characteristics about Him than just the mighty God. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. First, we're going to see that He's a child. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Now, we could spend time talking about how with Jesus will come peace like no other peace. And that is the case. 
because of this battle that was waged back in Genesis 3 that is going on between Satan and Eve's line, that Jesus comes and what does He do? He conquers Satan. He ends the battle once and for all, making a way for us to return to God. But notice what it characterizes this coming King as. It characterizes Him as the mighty God. Why is that significant? Because we need someone mighty. Because we are hopeless and helpless in ourselves. We do not have the strength. We do not have the righteousness. We do not have anything that would be needed in order for us to save ourselves. And so what we need is we need someone mighty. But we don't need a man that is mighty. We need God. And that is exactly who the Lord provides. That is who the Savior is, pointing back to, to Genesis 3.15. The He that is recorded there is talking about this, the mighty God, this wonderful Counselor that is to come. And is that not the greatest news ever? That that is God's plan. And that has been God's plan all along, that He Himself would take on flesh, that He Himself would become the Savior. And if we turn back a couple pages in Isaiah, we would, we would see even more about this coming king. That, that he would come in verse 14 in chapter 7. That he would come being born of a virgin. We'd see that his name is going to be called what? Emmanuel. God with us. Pointing forward to his incarnation. But even coming from Isaiah and, and going all the way to Micah. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5. As we see something significant, that, that this coming one, this coming King, this promised Messiah, He is going to be the eternal one. That He has no beginning and no, no end, even though in the book of Micah, we are going to be told that He is to be born in Bethlehem. But even though He's going to be born in Bethlehem, He will have no beginning. For He is the Eternal One. So the only aspect that Jesus has some sort of birth is in His humanity. And I've given us all time to get to Micah. And I cheated and had my little thing there because it might have taken me a little bit of time to find it too. Let me start with verse 1 because it gives such a a better insight into what's being con conveyed in verse 2. Micah 5, 1 and 2. Now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They have laid siege against us. With a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me. To be ruler in Israel, speaking of him being the king. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So even though he might be born in this city of Bethlehem, which is this totally insignificant, no-name city, he really will have no beginning. And what's significant about verse 1 is what it's communicating is that the nation of Israel has been in complete disobedience to the Lord. Time and time again. So what does the Lord do? He is going to bring another nation to come and overcome them. 
And it says, at least in my Bible, it says that with a rod they will smite the judge of Israel. That, that word rod in, in, in the Hebrew is, is really the word scepter. And it has the idea of, of a king's authority. And, and, and the scepter that the king holds, the king over Israel, that scepter will be ripped out of his hands. And, and, and then that nation that takes that scepter, they will smack the king in the face with that. To let him and to let all the nation of Israel know, hey, you are no longer in control. You are now subject to us. And this would seem so bleak, so utterly depressing, if it were not for verse 2. Because in verse 2, this is where we see God's grace. Yes, that is going to happen, but that is not the end story of the nation of Israel. Do you know that God's not done with the nation of Israel yet? That He still has more planned for them, just as He has more planned for us? And so we see in this that that Jesus is promised as the eternal one. That He's coming as a king. And as such, He will be the ruler. And He will rule over all creation, not just the nation of Israel. He will rule over all. And so in this, we see that, that Jesus is promised. First as the Word. Going back to John and then seen in Genesis 1. Then we see Him promised as the promised one in, in Genesis three fifteen that He talked about. Then we see Him as the mighty God in Isaiah. And finally in Micah, we, we see Him as the eternal one. But you know what the problem is? Is that we can see Him all over the place. We, we can go and we can see nativity scenes right now as we drive around. But so many times, we, we're not looking at Him and we're not thinking about Him. We're thinking about where we're going next. And then when it comes time to actually think about Him as the reigning King over us, at times we're, we're good with that. But at other times we're like, no, I think I want to do it my way. And we get our focus off of the Lord. And I believe that's why Christmas is such a, a good time for us to be reminded of this King, of the coming King. And to remember that the real King of our lives was the one born in a manger. And I, I found this story that I want to close with. This isn't my normal protocol to, to read a story. But it, it, it riveted my heart so much that I want to pass it on to you all. It was, it was written by a pastor's wife in the time of the frontier. Talking about her and her family. Listen to this. It's, it's, it's just a, a challenge and just a beautiful picture of God's grace. I remember a day, one unusually cold winter, that stands out like a boulder in my life. Our salary had not been regularly paid and and it did not meet our needs when it was. My husband was away much of the time, traveling from one district to another. Our boys were well, but my little Ruth was ailing. And at best, none of us were decently clothed. I patched and repatched with spirits sinking to the lowest ebb. The water gave out in the well, and the wind blew through the cracks in the floor. The people in the parish were kind and generous, but the settlement was new. And each family was struggling for itself. Little by little is the time... I needed it most, my faith began to waver. Early in life, I had been taught to take God at His word, and I thought that my lesson was well learned. I had lived upon the promises in dark times until I knew, as David did, who was my fortress and deliverer. Now a daily prayer for forgiveness was all that I could offer. My husband's overcoat was hardly thick enough for October, 
and he was often obliged to ride miles to attend some meeting or funeral. Many times our breakfast was Indian cake with a cup of tea without sugar. Christmas was coming. The children always expected their presents. I remember that the ice was thick and smooth and that the boys were each craving a pair of skates. Ruth, in some unaccountable way, had taken a fancy that the dolls I made were no longer suitable. She wanted a nice, large, and insist, a nice, large one and insisted on praying for it. I knew it was impossible, but oh, how I wanted to give each child his present. It seemed as if God had deserted us. But I did not tell my husband any of this. He worked so earnestly and heartily that I supposed him to be as hopeful as ever. I kept the sitting room cheerful with an open fire and tried to serve our scanty meals as invitingly as I could. The morning before Christmas, James was called to see a sick man. I gave him a piece of bread for his lunch, the, the best I could do, wrapped my plaid shawl around his neck, and, and then tried to whisper a promise as I often had. But the words died away from my lips. I let him go without it. That was a dark, hopeless day. I coaxed the children to bed early, for I could not bear their talk. When Ruth went, I listened to her prayer. She asked for the last time, most explicitly, for her doll and for skates for her brothers. Her bright face looked so lovely when she whispered to me, You know, I think they'll be here early tomorrow morning, Mama. That I thought I could move heaven and earth to save her from disappointment. I sat down alone and gave away to the most bitterest of tears. Before long, James returned, chilled and exhausted. He drew off his boots. The thin stockings slipped off with them and his feet were red with cold. I wouldn't treat a dog that way, let alone a faithful servant, I said. Then as I glanced up and saw the hard lines in his face and the look of despair, it flashed across me that James had let go too. I brought him a cup of tea, feeling sick and dizzy. At the very thought, he took my hand and, and we sat for an hour without a word. I wanted to die and meet God and tell him that, he, that, it, that his promise wasn't true. My soul was so full of rebellious despair. By and by there came a sound of bells, a quick step and a loud knock at the door. James sprang to open it. There stood Deacon White. Well, a box came by express just before dark. I, I brought it around as soon as I could get away. Reckon it might be for Christmas. At any rate, I, I said that they shall have it tonight. Here's a turkey my wife asked me to fetch along and these other things. Well, I, I believe they belong to you. There were a basket of potatoes and a bag of flour. Talking all the time, he hurried in, in the box and then with a hearty good night, ro rode away. Speechless, James found a chisel and opened the box. He drew out first a thick red blanket and we saw beneath it the box was full of clothing. It seemed at that moment as if Christ had fastened upon me a look of reproach. James sat down and covered his face with his hands. I can't touch them, he explained. I haven't been true just when God was trying to see if I could hold out. Do you think I could not see how you were suffering? And I had no word of comfort to offer. I know now how to preach the awfulness of turning away from God. James, I said, clinging to him, don't take it to heart like this. I am to blame. I ought to have helped you. We will ask him together to forgive us. Wait a moment, dear. I cannot talk now. Then he went into another room. I knelt down and my heart broke. In an instant, all the darkness, all the stubbornness rolled away. Jesus came again and stood before me with the loving word, daughter. Sweet promises of tenderness and joy flooded my soul. I was so lost in praise and gratitude that I forgot everything else. 
I do not know how long it was before James came back, but I knew that he too had found peace. Now, my dear wife, he said, let us thank God together. And then he poured out words of praise, Bible words, for nothing else could express our thanksgiving. It was 11 o'clock, the fire was low, and there was the great box with nothing touched but the warm blanket we needed. We piled on some fresh logs, lighted two candles, and began to examine our treasures. We drew out an overcoat. I made James try it on just the right size, and I danced around him. For all my lightheartedness had returned. Then there was a cloak, and he insisted on seeing me in it. My spirits always infected him, and we both laughed like like foolish children. There was a warm suit of clothes also and three pairs of woolen hose. There was a dress for me and yards of flannel, a pair of arctic overshoes for each of us, and in mine a slip of paper. I have it now and mean to hand it down to my children. It was Moses' blessing to Asher. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Deuteronomy 33:25. In the gloves, evidently for James, the same dear hand had written, I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Isaiah 41.13 It was a wonderful box and packed with thoughtful care. There was a suit of clothes for each of the boys and a little red gown for Ruth. There were mittens, scarves, and hoods, and, and down in the center a box. We opened it, and there was a great wax doll. I burst into tears again, and James wept with me for joy. It was too much. And then we both exclaimed again for close behind it came two pairs of skates there were books for us to read some of them i wish to see stories of the for the children to read aprons and underclothing knots of ribbons a gay little tidy a lovely photograph needles buttons and thread actually a muff and an envelope containing a ten dollar gold piece at last we cried over everything we took up it was past midnight and we were faint and exhausted even with happiness I made a cup of tea, cut a fresh loaf of bread, and James boiled some eggs. We drew up the table before the fire. How we enjoyed our supper. And then we sat talking over our life and how sure a help God always proved. You should have seen the children the next morning. The boys raised a shout at the side of their skates. Ruth caught up her doll and hugged it tightly without a word. Then she went into her room and knelt by her bed. When she came back, she whispered to me, I knew it would be here, Mama, but I wanted to thank God just the same, you know. Look here, wife, see the difference? We went to the window and there were the boys out of the house already and skating on the crust with all their might. My husband and I both tried to return thanks to the church in the east that had sent us the box and have tried to return thanks unto God every day since. Hard times have come again and again, but we have trusted in Him, dreading nothing as much as a, a doubt of His protecting care. They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Psalm 34.10. Let me close our time. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to see you afresh this season. Help us to behold the baby in the manger and to see your grace in our lives, Lord. Help us to see what a wonderful, gracious, loving, and good God that you are as we thank you for your son during this next month. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. 
It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.